Our Lord God, as we come to your word today, I ask that you would open our hearts. Lord God, I pray that you would speak to us from your scripture, that you would encourage us to put our trust in you and to follow you. Lord God, I thank you that you are a God of comfort, that you are a God of love, and that you are a God who hears our prayers. And I pray that today you would remind us of these facts as we speak. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The news came. At first he didn't believe it. The shock was great. He felt numb. But after some time, he doesn't even remember how long, the numbness was replaced with pain. Some days are easier than others, but still the tears come, even a year on. And he cries out, How long, O Lord, how long? The cloud of darkness has been with her all she can remember. No matter how hard she tries, she doesn't seem to be able to shake it. The weight of the pain and emotion is unfathomable. Some days she doesn't cry. Those are the good days. And she cries out, How long, O Lord? How long? The phone call was unexpected. They didn't know that he was going, but he did. They still wait each day in expectation that he will return and walk back through that door. The grief wells up inside them each time they think of him, and they cry out, How long, O Lord, how long? The memory of life without pain seems so distant. The hope of health, vitality, and wellness seems such a distant glimmer now that every step is agony. It's as if, as if his very bones are trying to escape from his body. His soul is scarred with the weight of physical and emotional drain. And he cries out, How long, O Lord, how long? For each of us, in our own ways, we have experienced some element of real grief of sadness, of emotional torment that is so great we can't see past it, that we can't get past it. We know those moments where our tears flow freely and readily, when the hurt and the pain seems too great to bear. And it's for moments like these that we have Psalm 6. But why is it here? Why at this point in the book of Psalms does this psalm appear? If you walk back through the book before this, the collection of the book, through, book of Psalms, the collection of hymns, songs, and prayers for the life of Israel, this one stands out compared to the ones before it. It's not a psalm extolling the virtues of Scripture. It's not a psalm praising God for his wonderful work in creation. It's not a psalm celebrating God's deliverance of the nation of Israel from their enemies. It's not a psalm thanking God for his deliverance and sustenance in a time of trial. Over two-thirds of the psalm reflects on how King David feels. Over two-thirds of the psalm focuses on his pain and his anguish, of his cries for mercy and deliverance from it, 
over two-thirds of the psalm speaks of the wrenching of his soul. So why is it here? Often, when we face heartbreak, we look inwards towards ourselves. We assume that we're the only people in the world who are going through this right now. We look at everybody else's perfect lives and we think, why me? This psalm is in some ways an antidote to that. This psalm speaks to the very pain and suffering that we experience and normalizes it and validates it as part of the human experience. It reminds us that even the mighty King David had moments when the tears wouldn't stop, when he couldn't take it anymore, when his soul was in so much torment and he was in so full of grief that he thought death must be about to march through the door, when all he could do is cry out, How much longer, O Lord? But this psalm isn't just a reflection on David's pain. It also provides us a pattern for how to deal with God through this. It reminds us that we can express the very deep desires and hurt of our soul to God. It reminds us that we should cry out to him in our pain and distress. It reminds us that we are not alone. It reminds us that the world wasn't meant to be this way. In the very words of the psalm is carved the expectation that the world is to be something more. That there should be an end to this pain and suffering. That the tears should stop. That those who would seek our downfall, who are pressuring in on us, should stop and meet justice. And this psalm isn't the only part of the Bible that holds this expectation. Revelation 6 echoes these words when it speaks of the church waiting for deliverance. It says, When he opened the fifth seal, speaking of the angels that were opening the seals of judgment, it says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth? and avenge our blood for the wrong that had been occurred against us. Romans 8 speaks of how all creation is in bondage to decay in verse 21, and groaning of pains of childbirth for the end of times. Or if we head back in the Old Testament to Isaiah 11, the prophet speaks these beautiful words about the way that life will be, or should be. The wolf will lie down with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young would lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. There isn't this, just a sense that this brokenness isn't part of the way that the world should be. The whole counsel of Scripture reminds us beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is not the way that this pain, that this, yeah, that this is not the way that this world is meant to be. That pain, suffering, and sadness is not what God intended for life. And this is the source of David's hope. This is why he can cry out to God for mercy in verse 1. This is why he can cry out for deliverance in verse 4. This is why he can cry out asking for salvation. And David isn't crying out to a dead God 
who is deaf to his cries for mercy and deliverance. He is crying out to a God who hears. He writes with confidence, The Lord has heard my weeping, and the Lord has heard my cry for mercy. And just like David in Psalm 6, we see this again in Revelation 6. The same cry of how long, O Lord, how long, is met with the response from heaven itself in verse 11. Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait just a little longer. David had confidence that his prayer would be heard. But on this side of Jesus, we have even greater confidence. Confidence because of what was foretold. In Isaiah 11, we read before the bit that we read before, the chapter starts with the promise of a deliverer, a descendant of King David who will bring justice and peace, whose judgment will be without compare, whose righteousness will be perfect, whose counsel will be wise. But don't just take my word for it. The words are written there. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, From his root, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and power, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. And this one who's promised, the one who will cause the wolf to lie down with the lamb, the calf and the lion to live together, the young child to play near the den of cobras, all without fear of concern, has come. Zechariah speaks of him in Luke chapter 1 when he says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he said through the holy prophets long ago. Jesus, the son of David. Jesus, who died to save us. Jesus, who was raised to life so that we might have life. Jesus, who has gone to heaven to be with his father, to prepare a place for us with him. Jesus, who has left the Holy Spirit to comfort us. Jesus, who promises us eternal life. But when? When will all this happen? When will the day of deliverance come? In Psalm 6, David doesn't say when God will deliver him. He knows that God has heard his cry. He knows that God will deliver. He knows that God will bring him justice and redemption. He knows that there will be an end because his prayer has been accepted. But he doesn't say when it will happen. But on this side of the cross of Jesus, we can see with greater and clearer eyes. The Apostle Paul, when he writes in 2 Corinthians to the church, says these words, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, but we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that this mortal 
may be, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore we are always confident and we know that as long as we are at home in this body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight, and we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from this body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due for him, for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Paul's words here make it clear that our deliverance is not necessarily of this world, but our hope, our certain hope, is something beyond now. The pain, the anguish, the groaning, the suffering now reminds us that this world is not the way that it is meant to be. It reminds us of the future that we are looking forward to. It reminds us of the hope of being clothed like Christ in our heavenly dwelling. But what will this like be like? Will it actually be better? Paul was confident that he would prefer to be there. But speaking to the church who is asking exactly this question, the vision that came in Revelation says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven, from the throne, saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne has said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write these words down, because they are trustworthy and true. The very things that David wrote about in Psalm 6, mourning, pain, grieving, tears that will not stop, all of these things will be made right when the dwelling of God is made with man and our home is finally with him. Friends, this is our hope. In the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of torment in this world, we look forward not to a day now, but to a day when Jesus will return and take us to be home with him. But buried at the end of Psalm 6 is a warning. A warning that this promise of redemption is for those who call out to God for mercy. A warning that this promise of deliverance is for those who come before him seeking salvation. A warning that this promise is for those who do not do evil before the Lord. That warning is carried through in Revelation 6 that we looked at before. The cry of how long, O Lord, is called out asking God, how long until you bring judgment on the world? How long until you finally bring forth the justice that you had promised in Isaiah? 2 Corinthians reminds us that we will be judged according to what we have done, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive to him what is due for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. So let me ask you, where is your heart today? Are you crying to God for mercy and deliverance? Are you acknowledging your need for him? Because if you do, you share in the same certain promise of hope that David relied on in Psalm 6. If you do, you are looking forward to a heavenly home, free from the pain and sickness and mourning and grieving of this world. If you are, are, 
then you are looking forward to a day when God himself will wipe every tear from your eyes. But if you aren't, then the only certain thing is judgment. The only certain thing is that every action you have done, whether good or bad, will be held to account. And on that day, the day when we face the Lord, the day when death has come, what we have done in this life will count. David reminds us that no one cries out to God when they are dead. So are you crying out to him for mercy now? Are you calling to him for deliverance? Have you asked him to save you? Because if you have, then we can be sure that God's promise of deliverance will come. You can be sure that our prayer will be acceptable to God just like King David's. You can be sure of forgiveness. The Apostle John writes this to the church. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, then God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And we can be sure that as we look forward to the hope of new creation, we can look forward to the glory that will come. As Paul writes in Romans 8.19, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. And then a little bit later, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how, long he will, he, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then Paul writes these words, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. How long must we endure and wait? How long must we cry to God for deliverance? How long must we wait? Well, the work is already done because Jesus has come to this world and he has died on the cross and he has come back to life so that we might have a certain hope. And the day when God's final judgment is coming, when God will make his home with men, is not very far. As it says in Revelation 6, just a little while longer. How long, O Lord, must we wait? Just a little while more. Jesus is coming back soon. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the sure and certain promise of your return. We thank you that we can know that in you we have a certain hope of salvation and redemption. We thank you for the promise of the new creation when all things will be made new, when there will be no sickness or mourning or pain or crying or grief or sadness, 
and you will wipe every tear from our eyes. Lord God, we thank you that our hope is not something that is whimsical or blown away by the wind, but is something that is sure and certain because Jesus died on the cross and came back to life. It's something that is sure and certain because your spirit lives within us and make sure that we know that we have life from you. Lord God, we know that it is sure and certain because the weight and testimony of Scripture, of history, speaks to the certainty of your coming to this earth and fulfilling the promises that were made a long time ago. Lord God, we thank you that the certainty of that day is coming. Lord God, we thank you that it is not far away. Lord God, we ask that you would bring it soon that you would bring the day when all that is bad in this world will be made right, when all that is sad, when all that is wrong, when all of the pain and the sickness and the crying and the mourning and the tears will be swept away. Lord God, we look forward to the day when you will make your dwelling with us and we will live with you for all eternity. Lord God, please give us penitent hearts. Please give us hearts that turn to you for forgiveness. Please remind us that our deliverance and salvation comes from you. And Lord God, thank you that in you we have hope. We have hope that is not random. We have hope that is not uncertain. But we have hope that is certain of a day when all of these things that you have said will be finally completed. And we look forward to that day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.